Right. Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. I'm here with Randy Ledke. Randy's a comedian, producer of various content, uh, general funny guy. Um, Randy, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, so I always start the interviews off basically asking about like coffee habits, coffee preferences, and I have a sense of your coffee habits, but um, can you update me on what they are and tell our listeners and stuff? Yeah. Okay. So I basically do like one shot of espresso every day. And for the most part, it's uh, by before I, before noon. Okay. Yeah. I have a, I have a home espresso machine and a little grinder and uh, I try to get free coffee from <laughs> friends as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And then I just have, I wake up my ritual is I get up, I walk to the machine, I turn it on, I let it heat up, I cook breakfast. By the time I'm done with breakfast, I either have a shot of espresso or I'll cut it with like oat milk and ice. Sometimes I'll steam a drink, but for the most part, it's either a shot or like uh, something I can sip on that will make it last a little longer. Okay. And your preferences for like a, a milk down drink is a cold one? Yeah, I think so. I don't. If I do a hot one, I'd rather have like a macchiato or uh, maybe a cappuccino. But even then, I I kind of I kind of like to have just an ice drink that I can just kind of sip for a you know thirty minutes to an hour. It's kind of nice to be like, ooh, I still have a little bit left. <laughs> uh, and you just get yeah. one shot per day. Yeah, when I worked in coffee, at times I got to more, but I find that I get really dehydrated. Mm-hmm. and uh kind of strung out and i have a hard time sleeping so yeah i gotta do one shot maybe if i'm feeling wild but it's probably been like eight months since i've been feeling wild <laughs> so okay. just one shot i actually brought a bag i was just up in oregon where i grew up and i brought a bag of coffee home from a place in that area and so i've been pulling shots with that this week it's been really nice nice yeah. uh, do you want to say what place it is <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's called Lone Pine Coffee. It's in Bend, Oregon. Okay. Uh, yeah, the guy's a nice guy, and he started it in a smaller town called Madras, and then built it, and then opened up a cafe in Bend, and uh, then closed that one, opened a different one, now has two in Bend, Oregon, and it's the best coffee in Central Oregon, for sure, and uh, nice cafe. It's really pretty stuff. Nice. Bend's pretty yeah. small, right? Yeah, it's probably... I mean, it's pushing, it's very close to a hundred thousand at this point, but it's, uh, it's still small. My hometown is like 30,000, but when I moved there, it was like 15,000 and Bend was like 45,000. So it's, uh, it's small compared to most places. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Well, um, now our listeners know you as a coffee drinker. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've been watching some of your stuff and, um, it's, indeed quite hilarious um you know first time meeting you i wouldn't have expected you to be funny at all but uh you know, <laughs> what the heck does that mean i'm just, I'm just kidding i'm just uh, i'm just trying to i mean uh, whatever maybe trying to rip here no uh but uh something that i noticed about your stuff is that like a lot of it is like like the highest uh version of poop jokes or like uh like there's like a lot of bodily humor but like you do it in a way that's still like really it really lands for me and um so you know you have this i don't want to spoil the clip for anybody who hasn't seen it but your whole oh, thing God. about weighing your poop um, oh yeah okay so 
um in my mind i'm like okay like you know somebody is like he does he didn't do any of this in real life but like the world that i'm into with like sort of like biohacky type shit um part of me is like i feel like he did maybe 70 percent of this in real life uh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh how much of that did i mean like were you really weighing your food is this like a calorie counting thing did you actually weigh your shit because i feel like there's somebody that does this no i i don't know i feel like anything that you saw is like pretty old. Like I kind of took a big break from, from standup, even like a few years before the pandemic. And uh, I'm just getting back into it and writing a lot now. And it's interesting writing now as a person compared to who I was, you know, when I wrote that joke is probably honestly, I don't know, eight years ago or something okay. crazy. Okay. So, um, I, a lot of my older jokes were definitely just like, oh, that's a weird idea somehow came to my mind and then craft a fake artificial event, which comedians like, I feel like if someone's telling a fake story, it's annoying to me, but if it's clearly fake and it's just silly, then that's okay. You know what I mean? You can't just be mm -hmm. like, yeah, and then this guy came up to me and he's, he punched me. You know, you can't just like make up a story unless there's like an obvious fake joke in it right. uh but no i probably was just thinking like uh i wish i knew more specifics but i feel like people in my friend circle had been like oh you ever weigh yourself before and after mm -hmm. you poop or whatever just to see how much your poop weighed or whatever <laughs> uh so <laughs> so maybe i started with that and then reverse engineered the joke gotcha. or you know, I don't know, we're in a culture of, of uh, kind of diet obsessed people and, totally. you know, you, you people weigh their food and count their calories and stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, it could have been that too, where I was like, oh, I do the opposite. You know, I, I weigh my poop, not, not the food. I don't know. I, I'm but pretty that's sure, not I think that Tim Ferriss, you know, of like Silicon Valley fame, I'm pretty sure at one point weighed his poop. So um, in my mind, I was like, shit, dude, he's onto this like deep calorie counting <laughs> shit. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, yeah, that that way you know, like, you know, you have all the data just in case. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's some stuff in this, you know, general realm that I thought I would run by you to see if you're familiar with it. Um, if nothing else, maybe fodder for future stuff. But um, are you aware of this uh, fecal transplant idea? Fecal transplant? What are you talking about? Okay, so um. I have a buddy who has had some autoimmune issues and I was aware okay. of this before this guy, but um, basically there's this thing where people with autoimmune issues will take encapsulated shit from somebody with a healthy gut to try oh to God. repopulate their gut with healthy stuff. So like, that makes sense. Yeah. He, he sort of asked me if I would do it, but I feel like um, maybe, you know, maybe he was aware of some things in my diet that he didn't want to put in his body, but I'm also just like, you're fucking eating shit, dude. Like, it doesn't matter if it's in a capsule, but... So you're actually eating it? Yeah, I think well, you're it goes... swallowing it. I think you're swallowing it, not... I, I mean... Yeah, it's not a medical procedure. <laughs> I mean, from what I understand, he's getting uh, encapsulated shit from some, like, 14-year-old uh, in Oregon, I think. <laughs> so That, honestly, is probably illegal, wouldn't you think? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I guess... He did sort of seem like he was having to be selective and sort of uh, subtle about it. 
<laughs> that is the, like if you get in trouble for, you're just like it makes sense but if you get in trouble for like buying a 14 year old's poop on the internet yeah <laughs> I mean, it could really ruin you <laughs> I, mean, I imagine most people would assume that like automatically that's some sort of sexual thing but it's like no no oh, auto, for sure. auto disease dude <laughs> oh no it's just you know uh i need better gut uh flora you mm. know <laughs> i'm eating a child's poop Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh um, man there's a that'd be something one. i would get in trouble for <laughs> there's a similar one them. for uh like the gut microbiome tests and basically um i like to call it the nacho troy test because they will mail like mail you like a thing to ship your poop to them and you're supposed to do it in a, a nacho tray or like one of those little paper boats and then oh, you, know, you zip it up in the bag and send it to them and they analyze it in their lab but um is this also uh you know new to you yeah so and what like you're just looking for like a spreadsheet of like poop data from that so yeah yeah like, you're like like uh like they'll tell you like who you were in a past life or something based on <laughs> poop. or it's just like what it's made up of or what does it tell you you think i think it's supposed to say like uh you know you need more lactobacillus or like whatever like uh, uh -huh. strains of probiotics or something like that but... Yeah, yeah. They're like good color. We love the color. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Uh, brown. Uh, yeah, that'd be crazy, man. I feel bad. I already feel bad for mailmen and UPS drivers, but now they're like, I'm shipping just a hot turd in a box. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, twenty three and me like spit. That's one thing, but like, uh, you know, sh yeah. spit shit. That's another. They, they, well, I mean, what can Brown do for you? That's UPS's uh, slogan. <laughs> <laughs> no, they had it coming, I guess. Oh, man. Um, and I guess that's a good segue to, um, you know, I showed you my list of topics. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, have, do you know about the Bristol stool chart? Uh-uh, no. Uh, the Bristol stool chart is a, it's a medical chart of, like, uh, of poop. Like, what is, oh. you know. So they're like, oh, what is your poop like? And they have like, it's like jagged, you know, broken pieces with jagged edges. And, you know, there's like different weird descriptions. And I used to think that was really funny. I got a poster, uh, bought, bought a poster of it on the internet. There's a show uh, called Getting On, I think it's called, hmm. an older HBO show. And it's like these nurses and one of the nurses in it is trying to s collect stool samples from people that are in the hospital for a side study that she's doing and everyone's like stop it you can't just take poop from all these random whatever but they talk about the bristol stool chart and that a lot and a friend of mine actually made a song <laughs> inspired by it called the bristol fart chart <laughs> but it's uh it's about as goes about as deep as just the title but uh, it's a good song too is this the same person that did the randy poops 11 times a day thing yeah yeah so uh the toilet bowl cleaners if you want to go on spotify you can look up the uh i think it's probably just called the bristol fart chart and it's, it has it rhymes so it's already better than the stool chart you know um actually i guess before we get to uh you know ejaculate jokes uh, uh so you know this the song about randy poops 11 times a day um and you know 77 times a week it i felt like it <laughs> Was particularly resonant with me because uh this like music project that i'm doing like actually literally last night i was working on this and there's a seven against 11 polyrhythm 
that equals up to 77. And I was like, Randy is essentially shitting my music. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that guy, he has like uh, like 40,000 songs on the internet. Not just poop songs. He's got like 70 different bands. They're just him, though. And uh, just somehow met him on the internet and started being his friend. He sends me Christmas. I just got his Christmas card. Here, I'll show it to you. <laughs> I don't know. This is illegal to show his children, but <laughs> yeah, he's a nice guy. Um, yeah, he. I don't know why that song got made. I think a friend of mine told him I pooped eleven times a day, and he made that song. But it's not true. I don't poop that many times. Okay, I, I didn't know if it was like some sort of preoccupation with like prime numbers or something like that, or. <laughs> Um, I think it was just a random thing. Someone we were like trying to get him to write songs about each other, and we were just throwing him ideas. <laughs> well, I suppose uh, with all this like nacho tray encapsulated poop stuff, you can see why I would ask if you uh, actually weighed your poop. But um, <laughs> no, it, but I have. I used to have big poops in high school, but now I'm normal. <laughs> um, do you consider poop jokes to be low humor, or um, do you not judge one way or another? Oh, gosh. I, I think, uh, I feel like in comedy, you know, when you first start out in comedy, you, you make those type of jokes. You're like, you're making poop jokes, sex jokes, because it's like, I don't know, it's instinctual since you were like a kid to make jokes about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, <clears throat> as you grow as a comedian, maybe you start doing it a little less or, but I always felt like if I did it, it was because there was a funny angle or like i used to pride myself in uh having like the smartest dumbest jokes yep you know okay. like the subject matter is dumb but it's clever and so i don't know i pride myself in that to make like grown-ups and and old people laugh at like a childish joke even though they even if they don't want to laugh at it mm -hmm. uh so I think it definitely can be like I, I will look down on my nose probably on certain people who are making certain poop jokes. <laughs> um, but, you know, take it from the toilet bowl cleaners. This this my friend's band who only sings about poop, puke and pee and uh, some, sometimes like boogers and stuff like that. But uh, it's because and he this guy never has said a swear word in his life. So he's yeah, he prides himself in that. And he uh but yet he writes all these songs about like really gross poop stuff because i think it's it's you know even kids could laugh at a poop joke mm -hmm. but not an ejaculate joke <laughs> i mean they can but uh maybe it's not as appropriate <laughs> so when does it turn from a swear word to a medical term because like you know does that mean that he he'll say poop but not shit Will yeah he say he'll, defecate he'll... but not shit Probably, yeah. I think, I, I think it's just kind of like whatever the consensus of what a swear word is. He just wants to, I don't know, he just took a stand in elementary school when all of his friends started cussing and he was like, not me, I'm going to be different. He likes to be different. Okay. Yeah. I, I think he's <laughs> succeeding. Um, Definitely, yeah. The way that you describe those jokes, though, like, you know, the smartest dumb joke, that that's totally what I was trying to get out with, like, you're sort of elevating the poop joke to something that's yeah. very clever, and, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, sort of trying to do it less, but I think, like, if you try to write jokes about certain subject matters, you, you can, can succeed, but, like, I feel like my best jokes just fell into my lap, usually, because 
you're just thinking about something or experiencing something or listening to someone else say something and then you hear it differently or you you just experience that perfect thing and so for that reason most of my jokes are about like poop because i i like to joke around about poop <laughs> normally mm-hmm. or like food i just love food you know uh, not just because it's like creates poop but because i uh, <laughs> i love to cook and i, I it's a passion of mine mm-hmm. so I, I find that like oh yeah you have a lot of jokes about you know eating <laughs> metabolism <laughs> yeah yeah and then early on i would do jokes about like not getting laid and stuff um because then it's like oh it's self-deprecating that's funny and then it's on a subject or whatever but then i started getting laid a lot it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hard to write those jokes anymore you know from that perspective and no one wants to hear like a guy just bragging so right right yeah <laughs> um man the, the the whole pineapple thing was fucking hilarious to me and again i don't need to spoil it for anybody um look it up you'll you'll laugh really hard but um uh same sort of thing with you know ejaculate jokes i'm I'm sort of curious if you're aware of for instance uh like the no fap movement no fap movement i mean i i understand what it means right off the bat but i don't know if i'm aware of the movement is it is it like uh huh yeah just people who just choose not to do it well i I partially asked this so I can try to seed uh, the sort of, you know, uh, comedy realm with uh, you know, the potential to do jokes about this. Um, yeah. But uh, I mean, basically, the idea is like, you know, people who have trouble with like porn and masturbation or whatever will like make the point to not do it. But they get kind of like a little bit crazy, oh, yeah. as you might expect. Um, and so <laughs> if you go to these forums, man, it's fucking weird. It's very funny shit though but um oh my god like i'm sure that they're struggling with stuff but like they like think that they have superpowers and like you know um they basically think that they're like god's gift to women once they've hit the 90 day mark or whatever like if they hold it in longer it's better for the women yeah they think that it's like converted into superpowers basically and oh goodness uh-huh interesting yeah. that's actually dangerous uh guys who haven't come to 90 days thinking that if they get their come on a woman that they, it helps them gosh <laughs> that's actually very dangerous i mean like yeah it, it's a weird shit man but um uh i guess it comes from the sort of like you know eastern school of like tantra and Taoism and you know uh all that but interesting that you uh you know you can figure out what it's about but you uh you haven't uh, seen anybody in that world they're strange man no i mean i i've been learning you know like uh got like trolls on the internet like uh certain types of people and i forget the term but it's like a term of people who classify themselves as like never had sex never will have sex they just sit in a room and they like uh torture people or something i feel like there's some sort of term that i'm like what is that but uh yeah, maybe. What's that mean? What's like the involuntary incel? celibate? Yeah, I think that's what it is. And I think so, supposedly there's a bunch uh, that exists. I don't know. I was watching a QAnon documentary and I was like, what? What are they talking about? I had never heard of this. And it's just like guys who are like, I am angry and I will never have sex. I'm just going to torture everyone around me. So I feel like the no fap thing, even if that's not why they're doing it, mm-hmm. it's still they got some sort of chemical imbalance probably because of it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it seems pretty adjacent to that world. Um, 
another another thing that I'd ask you about uh, in this sort of realm is like sort of like this weird occult stuff with like Aleister Crowley and like people who might like eat their cum. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard of any of that. I have heard people say, "Oh, come on, you've never tasted yours or whatever." But <laughs> and and uh, and I'm like, no, I haven't. But. Uh, so there's like a like a, a occult thing where they eat their cum and it also gives them powers. I think so. Yeah. Like, and I I think maybe in this Crowley thing they like bake it into a cake called a cake of light. I might be making this up. In which case, uh, you know, shame on me for having this in my mind. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's a real thing. Dang. Well, I remember there was. Oh my god, what a horrible story. I think it was in L.A. too. A teacher got in trouble for baking his cum into a bunch of cookies and giving them to all the kids in his high school. Oh, and yeah, man, like, that's rough. Yeah, like all these kids were like, I did what? Yeah, and he was like on the news. Gosh, that's just horrible. Yeah, that's, that's um, insane. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Interesting. Bake it into stuff. Yeah. I suppose yeah, not, I egg guess. replacer or something, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, people eat cum for sure, but it's usually like a sexual act, I would think, mm. not not like a part of a daily routine, <laughs> unless you're having that sexual act daily, which I think would get old at a certain point. You know, you got to yeah. keep it fresh. Leash. Um, and okay, I guess the last one in this sort of realm is, and you have to be aware of this, is urine therapy. Urine therapy. I love it. I mean, that's a great already a great name <laughs> yeah, for like therapy. Urine town. Place. <laughs> urine yeah uh urine therapy so it's either people drinking their urine uh bathing in their urine uh or doing some sort of therapy that improves their urine Maybe the first one you know uh, what i mean I they're like oh my my urine's weak man how do i get this more uriney and then they do like some sort of therapy cleanse i think i think that's the idea yeah like there's supposed to be some sort of way that you like you know, have this like closed ecology of your own self uh, nutrition or whatever. But um, I mean, like, you know, I come from Tacoma, Washington, and there's a health food store there called Marlene's and the Marlene uh, was known for drinking her own pee. And oh, I don't know that it is bad for you, but it doesn't seem like anything normal people do. Um, but I also in asking you all this, I feel like I'm the creep that has spent too much time doing anthropology on the internet <laughs> no i love it i think they're great topics i mean like yeah i don't i'm not familiar uh like i don't know what your your uh, listeners are used to hearing so i'm also like not trying to be the most craziest person on this podcast <laughs> like i don't think you're like the musicians that you have on the podcast you're not probably asking them about eating their cum no no so yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll will i'll just uh try to say what I, I but i don't want to be psychotic in my answers <laughs> you're in therapy you know there was a you ever watch that nathan for you show um, uh, nathan builder i i just watched an episode of his new thing but i haven't seen nathan for you yeah there's an episode of that show where he's like talking to this guy who owns a gas station uh in glendale i think okay and uh it's an older guy and then out of the blue it has nothing to do with the the episode out of the blue the guy starts talking about how he drinks a child's urine hmm. and he goes wait what and he goes yeah 
And he's like, wait, you drink? He's like, yeah. He's, he's like, not, he got all annoyed when he's like, so you would drink my urine? He goes, not a grown up. <laughs> he goes like my nephew, it's, it's like pure, you know, it's better for you. And he's like, what? And then it was just kind of like, the guy was like, yeah. And he's like, why? And he goes, well, you know, my dad did it. And so now I do it. And we were like, oh, I think he's just confused. You know, like he, his dad told him something and, but, uh, no, I didn't know that that was like a thing that people really do. Yeah, I think it's like for the the sort of like, you know, like breatharian sort of off the deep end type of uh, health food people. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, oh, God. Um, it's funny. You're the you're, you're the second comedy oriented oriented person that's been on the podcast. The other one is Ross Bryant, you know, and okay. we talked more about yeah. like improvisation. But um, uh, I guess I'm curious. Uh, so, you know, you do stand up stuff, but uh do you i mean like do you do improvisation stuff at all and i hate saying improv but is that like part yeah. of your scene at all um i've never done like structured improv or taken a class i think i would like to now i think when i first started comedy it was just too scary and um i think i'm more comfortable with like who i am as a performer and like the tools that i've created and i i would feel too off the deep end i think initially to to do that but I used to do, uh, there was a show in town, it still exists actually, but it's at a different theater now called The Tomorrow Show. And uh, it was every Saturday at midnight, like a comedy variety show. And me and my friend Davey Johnson, uh, we would always interrupt the show at some point during it every week for like five or six years. And uh, the bits were always like heavily improvised. You know, we would come up with maybe a beginning and an end and come up with a, a few beats, mm -hmm. but uh for, for, for a lot of it, it was uh, kind of my first experiences with improvising and even acting, really, because before that, it was just straight, like, you know, delivery of jokes and stuff. Um, and I find that when I'm performing stand-up, like, the, the best that I feel is when I'm improvising, you know? Okay. Um, <clears throat> like, I, in a long set, I would love it if, like, 15 minutes of it just materializes because I'm on, I'm on stage interacting with people in that room. You know what I mean? Even though it's like, yeah, you can't put that on TV, but uh, stand-ups, you know, to me it's created for the room that you're in otherwise. Uh, and if it translates to TV, then that's good for someone in a suit, but uh, you need to, uh, to be funny. You can't just do the same joke the same way. It took me a long time to realize that because I would, I would try to do the same joke the same way and be like, it's not working tonight. And it's, it's because you're not being like real with the moment. So being able to improvise um, is, is a bit, you know, it's more authentic. And, and then if you can slide your jokes into those moments or if you have a joke you weren't planning on doing, but something happens in the room where you're improvising and you're like, oh, I get to do this joke and act like I just came up with it, you know? So there's, there's a lot of strength in, in being completely in the moment and, and going with that flow um and acting i've improvised in in acting uh scenes and stuff auditions and stuff where you're like you know either kind of come up with something else that they wrote or uh you're with another actor that's improvising so you have to just be in the moment listening and, and rolling with it but uh no i've never done structured improv i think it would be fun at this point but you would have to have a lot of trust in the people around you um, I, I did get a sense that, you know, your stuff is like prepared in advance. Like you, I feel like you seem more like a composer than like a, a jazz musician who's like 
improvising, you know, and like that's the way yeah. I am too. And um, so I'm curious, like, if you weren't able to try things in front of the audience, um, do you feel like, I mean, like, would that be a big, uh, like, a big issue if you had to like, you only get one chance to try the joke in front of the audience, and you have to come up with it all in advance? Does that mean that it's going to be oh, yeah. not as good? No, you, yeah, you need the audience. It's it's kind of tough because sometimes you come up with a joke and you go, oh yeah, that's going to work no matter what. And it does. And it always works. And you, and you just go, I got the, the next great thing for my act. But for the most part, you kind of don't know, you know, it made you laugh, but it's also very energy dependent. And so like a really good joke doesn't need the energy attached to it. Whereas uh, something that is, you know, takes acting and writing. Um, <clears throat> you have to be, the, you have to let the audience tell you if it's good or not, basically. And that's really hard because every audience is different and every town you go to is different and every room in LA is different. Right. And um, and uh, it's tough, but so you, you have to kind of be like, I have this new joke, I want to try it. And if it sort of gets a laugh, you keep trying it and adjusting it. And it takes doing it in you know 20 50 places until you're like this joke works everywhere and now it's ready for something like when i did one of my tv sets it was a, a weird contrived bit wasn't necessarily uh you know punchline type of joke but i had to to be able to do it on late night tv i had to do it because it had to be five minutes and it had to be you know whatever so i had to do it in every room i could for like a month and be like, it worked. It worked at the dog food store. I don't know why they were doing a show there, but they were. It worked at the comedy club. It worked at the comic book store. It worked at the open mic. It worked at, you know, a theater. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, you really do need the audience to to tell you if it's funny. Because there's so many things that I'm like, this is the thing that I think is funny. And no one ever laughs at it, but I still keep bringing it. And I'll be like, okay, I'll put a funny joke on either side of it. So that way I can coast through the thing that I think is funny. And then maybe one <laughs> night people will really dig it. And I'll be mm -hmm. like, yeah, these are the people that I like. But yeah, you have to start off by just making yourself laugh. And then to to not hate yourself every night, you have to adjust based off of what everyone thinks is funny. Because what what is funny, you know, is objective you know it's up to the people but it also is is up to the culture and it's up to it changes every single day and it right. keeps changing so you have to keep uh you have to keep testing if it's funny in this current day or you know yeah so interesting so like do you feel like there is any potential for a universal timeless joke that like i mean without workshopping it i mean could there be a joke that is universally and timelessly funny like I think so. Sort of weird question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the jokes that continue to be funny. For me, there's jokes that I'll think are funny always, or like if I if you watch an old thing and it still makes you laugh. I think physical comedy uh, type, you know, silent film type comedy, I think is funny. It doesn't matter what language you speak. Uh, as long as it's not too cultural, as long as it's more like, you know, relationship or, uh, yeah, I think there's some really primitive things that will always be funny. And if, if you can write a joke that kind of taps into those, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. I think word, I have a lot of stupid wordplay jokes. And, uh, I think if you like 
some people might just go, no, that's not funny. But, you know, I think there's obvious comedy in certain things that will never go away mm-hmm. where you could go, oh, okay, I at least get why that's funny. But then there's, there's things where you listen to older comedy and you're like, wait, this was what was popular, you know, kind of trends or, or whatever. It's like, I don't think this is funny at all. Um, but yeah, I hope, I hope maybe my, one of my jokes will be funny forever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Not, not a joke about like a, a Blackberry, you know, that one wouldn't last or like the phone. Blackberry, <laughs> Blackberry. Not the oh, gotcha. I mean, dude, I've been yeah. waiting for a joke about a Blackberry, like a, and a blueberry oh, too. I love a Blackberry. I, I, the guy, I knew a guy that would do a blueberry joke, but not a Blackberry joke. <laughs> um, Actually, this is kind of funny about blueberries. Um, so, you know, my wife does like, uh, you know, like visual stuff. Like she's a Photoshop wizard, uh, female wizard. Um, but uh, she was looking through gigs she's a witch. online. Say what? She's a Photoshop witch. Yes. <laughs> Your words. Uh, but uh, she, she was on Craigslist and she came across this thing where somebody was offering to pay for somebody to do a some sort of blueberry fetish. And oh. so there's some sort of blueberry fetishism out there, which again, you know, this is outing me as some sort of crazy anthropologist of the internet, but um, just thought it was worth mentioning. That. <laughs> a blueberry fetish. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's probably all out there, right? That's mm-hmm. interesting. Like, do you remember what it was? Like, they they like to eat them or they like to have a bunch of them or they dressed like a blueberry. I th- Okay, I guess the, the source is actually from something having to do with Willy Wonka. And I think like... The oh, yeah. whole like uh, Veruca Salt, or that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's Violet. You're trying Violet, Violet. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's maybe the origin, and there were like people debating it. It's like, no, it can't be this way because it has to be like this, and very opinionated people about blueberry fetishism. So, uh, <laughs> a kid in my elementary school wore. He was like a, a pretty big guy, and he wore blue sweatpants and sweatshirt for Halloween, and he was a blueberry. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Everyone was like, "Oh, it's unfortunate for him." Um, okay, so yeah. that, in terms of like, uh, like the mechanics and sort of like that type of stuff with comedy, um, you know, like I, I do music. I'm like, I compose stuff, and in a, like that's sort of like coming up with a joke. But I feel like a joke has to have a certain timing and punchline. You know, like a delivery that works out. And in music, you don't necessarily have to have that same trajectory. Um, so what do you think about like punchlines and setups and like the sort of mechanism of that? Like, is there any sort of guiding principle in your head <clears throat> when thinking about that? Yeah. You know, it's tough. Cause like every, everybody has their own different way of doing stand up. you know, mm-hmm. writing short jokes. Uh, there's devices within those short jokes that make them jokes and not jokes. And there's things that make them more powerful and more pungent and more effective. Um, but uh, for me, what I've been trying to do lately is like, you know, jokes come to me based off of things I'm experiencing and thinking, and I'll write those jokes down. But then if you compile all those short jokes, um, if you're not really like, if you have a, oh, I just wrote this funny joke about the moon, you know, let's say I did that. If you just are like, oh, how's it going? And then you just tell a joke about the moon, it seems a little bit weird mm-hmm. and it might, people aren't in the right mindset unless it's like really bizarre or really perfect. And, and I feel like I, I used to try to do that a lot and it would sort of work, but I think what I'm trying to do now 
is once I compile enough stuff and I'm talking about the moon, I can sort of <clears throat> get laughs just on a fun conversation that has some different, oh, I never thought of that. That's funny. Ha ha ha. And then you hit them with a very clear joke or punchline either near the end or if you have a couple of them, you can start stacking them up. But I've noticed where I'm like, oh, that's the funniest sentence in the world. No one will laugh at it unless I have something else to say on the topic. So mm -hmm. for me, it's like a punchline and a, a clear cut joke is still really powerful. Um, some people just tell these big long winded stories, which is not really my style. I wish I could because then I'd have tons of material. But uh, I feel like the longer I'm writing and doing stand up as the person that I am, the more I'm compiling. Oh, look at these kind of themes that are appearing and oh, this one doesn't really have anything with it yet. And, you know, um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of just like create whatever is coming to you and put it on paper and then sort it later. And gotcha. there's things that won't make the cut. There's things that fit together perfectly. There's things that I'm like, okay, we're going to take just a, a bit of a detour because this thing always will work and it doesn't have anything to do with anything I'm saying. Um, <clears throat> and I think in music, sometimes it can be that way too, where it's like, oh, I just came up with this little thing. It's kind of cool. And then you build from there or you, you hold it and put it somewhere else. Um, but I've, I've been like, I've written on shows and stuff where they're like, okay, we need this many, this type of jokes and this many, think about this topic. And you're like, it's pretty tough to do that. And you do end up with some stuff after that, mm -hmm. but uh, there, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like the, the creative flow of, uh, what naturally comes to your sharp mind is mm -hmm. going to be the most potently you at least you know unless you're For just sure. like a joke writing whiz which people you know there's people who write monologue jokes on late night shows and that's all they do is you know it's like you know a bit of a distraction and a surprise at the end or this and this, and then then the least expected thing happens. You know, you set them up for something that you think is going to happen, and then it doesn't. Uh, there's all these little tricks, and if you're writing it from that angle, um, yeah, you'll still have jokes, I guess. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I answered a question in there. <laughs> I, I forgot what the question was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess like, you know, uh, that's interesting uh, having to write for a specific duration or like uh, a specific structure of joke or type of joke. And, um, <clears throat> you know, like, I guess right now I'm working on like a, a 30 minute uh, EP for a project. And so it's like similar to you maybe doing like a half hour of comedy. I'm curious how you like cultivate a routine that's like a specific time like that, whether it's five minutes or 30 minutes. Um, yeah. Like, do you see it as like, I have this many chapters and like, or how do you think about pacing it um, Yeah, and constructing that? Yeah, you know, in the past, <clears throat> you just kind of are like, you take the opportunities that you're given. So you start with a five minute set <clears throat> and then you kind of just keep upgrade, you know, pe pe people will start asking you to do more and more time. So you, you just use the foundation that you build and then you just keep sort of adding to that and discarding and changing. And so it kind of just builds very naturally. And then you're like, oh gosh, I got to do 45 minutes and I can do this 10 minute set that I usually do. And then I'll put this thing here and, you know, and then <clears throat> it kind of, same thing with the audience. It sort of takes having to do it a bunch of times 
to, to know if it's good because a 45 minute set is much different than a 10 minute set. And even if you take four different 10 minute sets and sandwich them together, you find out by minute 30, the audience doesn't care about you anymore and you're losing them. So then you're like, Oh, I do have to change things that I normally wouldn't have to change. Um, Yeah. But I think same thing as what I was saying before is like, I just have to throw down every idea I have. And even if it's just barely a part of something, it might really serve me later. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's like, Oh, that was like the perfect, you know, tag to a joke I hadn't written yet somehow. Um, but, but yeah, for a five, for like a TV set where they're like, you have five minutes to do on late night. Um, it's up to the, it's every comedian's a little different. What I would do is say, what are the biggest laughs that I've been getting? And then maybe it's these three things. Can I do all three of those in the same set? Or would that be too weird? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's kind of like, well, this joke usually comes with these two jokes. So I'll, I'll open with that. And you have to think about the closer. Yeah. You have to kind of think about <clears throat> what's the first thing I'm going to say that gets people on board with me. And they, they go, oh, I get this guy. That made me laugh and I understand him because you have such a short amount of time to get to know them. Mm-hmm. And then you have to be like, what's the joke that will kill the hardest at the end? You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't always work out that way, but uh, you do have to kind of like allow the audience to take little breaks. You know, you have to, you have to, to bring them down to go back up. You can't always just be psychotically laughing, especially for a long set. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would think like, okay, I don't want to leave one side of my set too weak. You know, if I have some stuff that is a little weak, you want to make sure you have strong stuff on either side of it. And you also have to think about, am I lying a lot in this set? If I am, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if these jokes are made up, are they going to affect the next joke? Did I talk about this topic too much? And now it's taken, it doesn't chewed bubble gum. The flavor's gone it's not as funny anymore because I'm not shocked or you just said you were single. Now you have a girlfriend, you know, like that type of stuff. So you have to kind of move stuff around so you don't contradict yourself. Um, And yeah, there's a lot of like technical stuff that you don't realize until you do it. And then you go, Oh shit, I really shot myself in the foot there. Next time I have to move that there. And it's just all about repetition really. Gotcha. Uh, with the sort yeah. of like under the hood mechanics of it and stuff, um, I feel like a lot of people I've asked about this type of stuff, I feel like they don't want to talk about it. And maybe it's that they don't want to reveal their secret sauce or whatever. Um, do you feel like people in your, you know, like community of comedians, do they talk about the mechanics or is it like kind of like shop talk where it's like, oh, yeah, this thing? Or are there people that have some grand scheme of like an elegant algorithm of comedy or something like that? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I feel like comedians like to talk about it when they're getting started um because it it's it's kind of like going to class you know it's like the more you you use that tool and the more you talk about it the sharper it gets and it's exciting you're like proud of yourself and you think it's cool and you talk to someone else and you're like oh my god i do that too but i've I've learned stuff from other comedians where i'm like oh especially when i was first starting out they're like, why don't you move that part to the end? Why do you say that first? And you're like, oh, you're right. And then that becomes something you remember when you're writing another joke or trying another thing. But I think the longer you do comedy, 
you start to not want to talk about it because you've already talked it to death so many times and like a new comic will come up and want to talk shop and you're like oh my god i just don't even know if i like comedy at this point and you want advice and i don't have any and um i'm kind of in that first phase again where i took such a break that i comedy is exciting again and uh, but i definitely went through a phase where i was just like kill me like i don't want to talk about comedy i don't even want to be funny in a conversation you know you start to put all your value into this one little like you know pet trick basically and you're just like i'm multi-dimensional i'm this (laughs) i'm that but uh i think uh some comedians like to play it too cool. You know what I mean? Like comedians, it's not just that they're annoyed. It's just that like, oh, I'm not, I don't work hard at this and I'm always good. And I don't write. I just come up with stuff, right? you know, and kind of have a plan when I go on stage, but I don't, I don't work hard at this. It's effortless. And mm-hmm. people, people start to think that they're too cool for the process that actually creates comedy. And it's like, no, you're a writer. You're not Mr. Cool, like jean jacket, bro. You're, you know what I mean? Like you're a nerd who writes basically little tiny poems and you go on stage and you perform, you know what I mean? You're a clown. (laughs) You don't have to act like you're too cool. Yeah. I mean, that's like the person who's like, I I aced the test without studying for it. It's like, who gives a fuck, man? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's like a power. Like I'm better than you thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, comedians do like to talk about comedy for the most part, but you, you get burnt out because you spend so many hours in a room watching people do stand up and hearing your own jokes a bunch of times and hearing other people's jokes a bunch of times that you start to just be like, this is all formula. It's not exciting anymore. Why would I want to like, I'm not at the comedy show. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But I think to to be progressing, you do have to be talking about it. Once I stopped really wanting to dive in is when i stopped caring and i stopped really wanting to perform you know mm-hmm. interesting um so uh it, in terms of uh like i guess dick jokes you know uh i'm very amused by <laughs> <laughs> you know subtle segue there um but uh, you know like the same little uh clip that i've been talking about uh you know with your little answering machine thing and like i saw some funny animations of you blow drying your butt with uh, a very you know long penis dangling um and the, the only other person who gives me dick that i like at this level is jb smooth and his whole like spiel about ligaments um i don't know if you've seen that but it's, um i will I have it once a week for the rest of my life um, that's so funny uh, but there's something funny about men and their relationship with their genitalia um and i can't pinpoint what it is but i feel like maybe you have insight (laughs) yeah i feel like i mean rule number one for comedy is like for the most part you have to be likable that would be my biggest like that's like that'll fast forward you to doing well if you're likable people will want to listen to you talk and you know some people are likable by being abrasive or are likable by being an asshole you know you laugh at the guy who's an asshole as long as as long as uh it's still someone that you you like so Mm -hmm. if you can talk about your dick and have people still want to you know what i mean like i feel like for me and for each person it's different like what's a likable way for me the way i look my energy so it's Mm -hmm. like 
I, I feel like I can't just go out and talk about like how awesome it is just as long as it's not straightforward. I don't know, maybe that would work because that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely have seen people try all sorts of dick jokes and they're just, they're not endearing. They're not, it's awkward, you know, maybe there's a confidence thing in it, you know, open mic comics. As I said, it's like a topic that you want to talk about because it's your first starting and, and that's like the easiest joke to get maybe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess I really did end up talking about my dick quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> but it was always like a figurative dick, I would say. It was, mm -hmm. it was never like, I never picture, <laughs> I feel like when I, when I would make jokes that were inappropriate, like sexually inappropriate, um, it was all like, because, oh, the, these words will get a laugh coming from me. You know, it was, it was never like, oh, man, this crazy thing happened to my dick, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then whatever, you get comedy gets labeled as like, oh, God, another, you know, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Just like you were saying, uh, you know, you don't really want to hear, maybe you wouldn't classify yourself as someone who is a big fan of dick jokes, you know, but there still are some out there that are going to make you laugh because it's not really about the subject matter. It's about each comedian is different. Just like, you know, I mean, musicians, I'm sure there's a bunch of musicians that have sang a song about a butterfly and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, one you might like, like, uh, you're my butterfly sugar baby that song and one you might not like you know i guess i could have saved that one for the one you didn't like uh that would be a lie yeah 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 i guess subject matter because it's it's really just how the artist packages it and if they're making making fun of the fact that they're talking about a dick or if they're uh doing the same thing that an asshole comedian would do but doing it uh completely from a different point of view is kind of funny i don't know yeah i think there's room you can joke about whatever you want as long as it's not like hurting people and as long as it's not uh as long as it's funny you know i mean the, the whole thing is like funny is funny it's like yeah that's true but there's also like we need progress we need to be moving forward we don't need to be right. doing things that are harmful to society uh <clears throat> So if you're talking about your dick and it's harmful to society, then I, I'm against it. That's what I'm gotcha, to say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, JB Smoove talking about his dick, I feel like is uh, is beneficial for everybody because it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, so in some of your stuff, um, I, I by no means would call it prop comedy, but like I feel like occasionally you will come prepared with something that supplements your routine. It's fucking oh, funny. Yeah. Um, and so like I uh, <laughs> I'm curious like. <laughs> how that came about and how you, you would describe it. it. Like it, does that make sense to you? What I'm saying at all? Like, um, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. No, I used to feel like a total fool traveling the country. Cause I would have, to, I was like, okay, I, do I have this, you know, if I didn't pack everything, I couldn't do my act. And it kind of <laughs> made me feel like a prop comic, even though I didn't identify as one. Mm -hmm. um, and the more I look back on the comedy that I've done in my career, those are the those are the the bits that make me the happiest uh, because no you know if I come up everyone can go up there and just talk into a microphone that's kind of the only rule you can do a lot of stuff outside of that mm -hmm. that uh, and less and less people do 
you know, conceptual things using, oh, I got, you know, I, even if it's just a notebook, you're showing stuff in a notebook or, you know, taking a phone call during your set or anything that makes it feel a little different to me adds value mm -hmm. because there are no real rules to stand up comedy, but most people do fall into the one lane. And a lot of that's industry. Industry wants to make money off of you. And if it's easy to define you without seeing you, then <clears throat> then that's better for them. But mm. uh, yeah, I, I, I would carry around a, a fake wedding ring. Uh, I would carry around <laughs> two phones. I'd have two cell phones on me at all times. Uh, <laughs> I always had to make sure I was like, okay, you're going on stage. Just the fake phone in your left pocket and the real phone in your right. Do you have the wedding ring in your back pocket? Do you have your iPad? Do you have your notebook? Do you have, you know, like, mm -hmm. like, did you give the sound cue to the guy in the back? Do you have this ready? Do you have the plant in the audience that you're going to act like as a normal audience member, but is a, is a shill. Um, I think all that stuff, uh, messes with the, the reality Mm -hmm. uh, and especially when you're doing a long set, those are really valuable to reset the audience where you're like, here's 10 minutes of jokes and then something kind of blindsides you and then you're ready for another 10 minutes of jokes, you know? Um, so I don't think there's any shame in using props. I always, I always thought, uh, when I was a kid, especially like carrot top, you know, the king of prop comedy, that stuff. And Gallagher, Gallagher was big time prop comedy. He smashed watermelons, that guy. Oh, um, I don't know Gallagher. You don't know Gallagher? Oh my gosh. He's he used to smash watermelons on stage and he's ridiculous and he's an asshole and whatever. Um, but if you go back and watch his old specials, it was always like inventions, you know, oh I invented this to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, people will shit on that, but it's because they don't do inventions, you know. <laughs> so like I don't do that, so it's stupid. But mm -hmm. I think I think a prop is hilarious. I don't mind it even though it's not necessarily exactly what I do, mm. I don't mind it at all. I, I heard the little spiel that you gave about the uh, Pace Picante thing. Oh. And like, in my mind, that's the same thing where it's like, you know, there are technologies around now that you can utilize in hilarious ways. And I don't think that people are, but I, I appreciate that you are where it's like making fake Twitter accounts, like, you know, like uh, that type of shit. So like, yeah, <clears throat> it all, it all moves it forward. Not that that's the intention of it, but to me, it's like, you're going to have an easier time creating the funniest joke in a realm if you're the only one creating jokes in that realm. So mm -hmm. it, it may take a different type of brain to be like, okay, you know, to me, you're talking about the Twitter pranks or whatever. It's like, yeah, people didn't used to do phone pranks either. And then someone did it and they were like, what the heck? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, there's, there's all these different avenues for us to joke around and it's not just what you would assume. There is some probably, like, I feel like I was doing all sorts of lying on the internet and now like <laughs> the internet is filled with lies and it's screwed with society. But yeah. I pretty early on exposed that you could just make people believe something that wasn't true, but I did it <laughs> for funny jokes, not to ruin society. So yeah. um, maybe it was a, an early indicator that we needed to create some sort of boundaries on the internet. <laughs> That's a great way to describe it. I, I was lying on the internet for a while. <laughs> yeah. I, we found out I used to do a podcast and we would just lie and people would go, is that true? And we'd be like, yeah, Jack Black is on the podcast today. And it would just be our friend. And, uh, 
you know, I, we just we thought it was so funny to make people believe something that wasn't true at all, mm-hmm. but for the reason of comedy, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, but it was just way too easy to make a group of people believe something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the whole like scheming thing to like have a long con that like involves like, you know, like I, f- I feel like for me, I would like, I would just get too overwhelmed with the hilarity of it and then reveal it too early. And so like the ability to like do the long con and like follow through with a sense of self-control, like that's, you know, that's, that's great. <laughs> I, I couldn't yeah. Think. It takes, it takes a lot of luck too. It takes a lot of luck, but it also takes like uh, being okay with whatever the outcome is. Mm-hmm. And I used to be a really impatient person uh, when I was younger, you know, I'd be, I would like call my friend and be like, you want to go to the movies today? And they'd be like, no, I can hang out tomorrow. And I'd be like, I don't want to hang out tomorrow. Forget it. You know? And then the next day would roll around and I'd be like, I should have said, yes, we would be hanging out right now. Like I was like so impatient, man. And um, I think uh, <laughs> I'm much better at just going with the flow and planting seeds and letting them grow. And if one thing turns into something great, then awesome. If something doesn't, then you don't need to be stressed about it. So I think those, uh, I feel like the the creating fake Twitter accounts in the past, the thing that I did with Pace Picante, that was, to me, even if it didn't turn into anything, I could still tell someone, yeah, I ran this uh, account. You know, mm-hmm. it was kind of character building where they go, you're the weirdest person in the world. And I'd be like, that's what I need people to think for me to get stuff in comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh yeah, as long as something doesn't take too much of your energy for no payoff and you mm-hmm. won't regret it, I think it, you may as well plant seeds. Let them, you know, we live in a like a, a 10 second video world where that's the only thing that's pleasing, but something larger is definitely going to have more value as long as it hits. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I, I'm curious if you've, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with like GPT-3, but um, like the sort of like text-based ai thing that will generate you know whatever the fuck you want um like uh-huh. you, you could just be like a stand-up routine between jerry seinfeld and uh you know I, I, this is a real thing jerry seinfeld and uh, uh eddie murphy i think and it generates this like somewhat believable stand-up um I, if you haven't heard of it i i want to just put that wow yeah so check it out. um if you go to ai dungeon i think it's it's meant for people who are playing like uh nerd games or whatever but i think you can basically you know train it up to say whatever you want so i'm curious where your mind would go with that uh yeah that would be fun to take a look at it also might just really creep me out though yeah comedy and the (laughs) age of ai yeah um okay so um i guess the last thing i'll ask you about is your uh randy wants to try marijuana thing uh and that's another sort of like grand scheme it seems um and so I'm curious how you went about conceiving of that and then like bringing it into being and, you know, yeah. all that. Uh, well, the original, I was writing on a pilot for Comedy Central. And the reason I was writing on it is because the show was all about coming up with really weird kind of social. I, I did a lot of weird kind of, uh, so you know, not pranks, but like things that messed with society and and you know, how would this work? And so we're, the show was, uh, you had to come up with a lot of weird out of the box ideas. And one of them that I came up with was like, what if we threw, uh, had a weed festival in the Colorado corner of four corners, you know, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado. 
at that point it was the only place where it was recreationally legal mm. two of the states it was medical and utah it was illegal and i was like that'd be funny we just like showed up and like you know had like 50 people in tie-dye shirts and had like a weed festival to me it just highlighted how ridiculous like the laws are where it's like really there's a there's crazy amount of imaginary lines here and if i step over there i get arrested like to me it just really exposed how silly all these mm -hmm. different laws that we have on different things um and no one in the room liked it <laughs> i wrote it for this show and they were like nope next and i was like fuck you guys like i'm gonna so i kept it in my notes you know and then i had never smoked weed i was in my early 30s and i really never had and uh I had kind of come to the realization that I wanted to. And I was like, but this is weird. I never have, I have to make it into something. Like mm -hmm. I'm as an entity, as a comedian, I may as well, even if it's just a little video. And then I used that idea. I was like, what if the first time I smoked weed was in the corner of the Colorado four corners, that'll be the first time. And now I have this opportunity to curate my very first experience. How many people get that? A lot, a lot of people smoke <laughs> weed. Also, who cares? I found that out a lot. A lot of people were like, who cares, man? <laughs> but to me, it was special. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I get a chance to, you know, create the song that I smoke to. I get a chance to do it exactly where I want to learn as much as I can. We live in a world full of knowledge that we didn't have 20 years ago about weed. We live in a world full of products we didn't have 20 years ago. Like, yep. I just kind of was like, this is a really special opportunity for me to have the best first experience ever so it kind of was just built around that and i found um a filmmaker who i had never met until we started meeting about this and now he's a good friend of mine um johnny look uh great director and uh filmmaker and uh yeah it was just me him and a sound guy went to colorado and those guys didn't really smoke weed so i was really kind of on my own learning you know i didn't have like a a sensei or anything the limo driver knew more about weed so he was like trying to tell me how to smoke <laughs> <laughs> and all my extra weed before we flew out i gave to the limo driver nice. um but yeah it kind of just came from like yeah actually being forced to come up with weird ideas so sometimes that stuff does work you know you go oh shoot look at that um and then just waiting for the right things to align and even though it wasn't like uh i didn't make any money off of it it was just like a fun thing mm -hmm. that uh, a lot of people have seen at this point it's on funny or die i think it has close to a million views at this point and every uh, every 420 i get to tell people about it again so it's kind of perfect to, yeah and i'm wearing a tie-dye shirt right now so as you can see <laughs> it uh it definitely had an effect on me <laughs> <laughs> i think that was the first thing i saw of yours and uh yeah it was i was very pleasantly uh surprised by how funny it was yeah as i said I, I was expecting you to be a dud you know <laughs> if it wasn't for johnny look the director it would have not been that good he put a lot of work into it and uh i had very little experience telling such a full story and doing the things you had to do you know i had gags and ideas and and jokes but i was just kind of like let's film it it'll turn into something and he's like no we have to kind of figure it out <laughs> so uh I, I definitely am thankful to have such a talented person working on it with me um nice. but yeah just watch it everybody it's on uh, funny or die it's probably on youtube as well and mm -hmm. randy wants to try marijuana uh how did you go about finding that. your uh i forget if there were one or two um but you had like a doppelganger essentially and 
I mean, I should I shouldn't have uh, <laughs> uh, spoiled that. But, you know, <laughs> oh no! How do you go about finding yeah. a doppelganger? You know, like, we were in Zinder. No, they're both stand-up comedians. Those guys. Interesting. Um, okay. And we were in Denver and kind of just uh, through the chain of other comedians put a word out saying, hey, does anybody know any redheaded guys with beards? And those are the two that surfaced. And both of them are really funny comics. And actually, uh, I, that's the first time I ever met them. Uh, one of them, this guy, Zeke, every time I would tell more about my story, he would be like, that's like me too. We almost brought him with us to Four Corners and had him hang out with us. We thought it would just be funny. But uh the other guy, William uh, Montgomery, he, re I was up in, I'm actually going to Humboldt this weekend to do stand up, but I was up there maybe four months ago and doing a show randomly with another comic. And it was one of those guys, William Montgomery. Nice. And he was like, he's like, Hey man, we met on that weed thing. And I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> and he's super funny. He lives in Austin now. And uh, when I was out in Austin, hung out with him a bunch and uh yeah but like so many years of being like i don't remember that guy that well and now we're friends and it's weird to think that he was the guy that's in the the weed doc yeah so both comedians uh zeke crap i can't think of his last name right now but i think he might live in humboldt now even though he was okay. in uh denver yeah both of them at this festival that i did in humboldt zeke and that guy both redheaded guys with beards were in there you know she was funny dude uh <laughs> If, if you uh, if you had actually tried weed beforehand um, and you still did the whole thing, do you feel like it would have not been funny, or like do you feel like you had to have that genuine sort of authentic? Uh, I, yeah. First time? yeah, I wouldn't want to do it otherwise. But I have had a lot of people go, "Wait, really? You had never smoked? I thought you were just fucking around." I was like, "Why would I put so much effort into something if I was just lying?" So I have found out that a lot of people just thought it was for a gag. Interesting. Um, but I wouldn't have. To me, that's what made it so powerful. The reason I wanted to do it because, because I guess most people didn't. Yeah, your first time smoking weed, who cares? But for me, it's like, well, I avoided it for a long time for all sorts of reasons. So this is a big. You know, I'm an adult, and I'll. I'm going to do this like thing that most people did when they were 14, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so, so maybe not, maybe it would still be as valuable, but I think, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to put that much energy into it if I was being inauthentic, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I remember when I was talking to you and you're like, yeah, I actually just did it like recently. And actually I made a film about it. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, I mean, just hearing that, like, part of me wouldn't want to believe it, but then I, I went home and it was, it was real. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was fun. Yeah. I, I was hoping I would like it. You know, I was a little worried that it might not agree with me, but I, I did want it in my life. Like the medicinal aspects of it sounded very appealing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And here I am, uh, I don't know how many years later I have, a bad sense of time now since i started smoking weed <laughs> but uh i now know a lot about weed mm -hmm. and uh last year i even grew my own weed oh, shit. how'd it go yeah I, uh really good it's all really good and Beautiful. uh yeah i grew i grew i'd spent two years learning the first year was kind of tinkering and the stuff didn't turn out that great and then the next year i used better genetics and 
outdoor and in pots and uh, ended up very successfully growing weed that I really enjoy. That's awesome. Um, What strain? Oh, uh, a handful. My favorite is, uh, let's see. Well, there's a joint. Um, It's uh, (laughs) a... The one that I've been really enjoying is a Durban Poison Cross. It's a an orange Durban crossed with a Durban Poison. So it's basically a Durban Poison, um, which is a sativa. Uh, the breeder is a company up in Mendocino. Okay. And uh, they're right near Humboldt. And I'm doing shows in uh, Eureka, California, in Humboldt this weekend. And uh, the guy who owns the breeding company is going to come watch the shows <laughs> awesome. so yeah and it's literally my favorite it's called uh it's called 2020 mendocino is the company and they sell seeds basically nice. and uh they're all their strains are really good i grew two of their strains and this one is uh their other one is really good too but this one is a daytime i like i like a more sativa strain so word um man yeah. i feel like you you know more than i do now ah I listened to a lot of grow podcasts over the pandemic, learning how thing? to grow really? weed. Oh yeah, there's a whole like home grow community because there's like cultivators and people who are making money off of it. But there's a lot of people that they grow for themselves and or they test genetics. So people who sell seeds, you can't just make a seed and be it works. They have to grow a handful of those seeds to make sure that a certain percentage of the plants are successful and flower them and get them all good. So there's a whole community of testers too, which is kind of weird. People just grow weed for, you know, they get seeds for free and they grow them and they smoke them themselves, but then uh, it's helping the genetic companies learn. It would be more quantified to test the genetics, but uh, so it's just a subjective, like, I like these. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's the, the 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 quantifying aspects of it are, um, you know, are they pest resistant? Are they disease resistant? Okay, okay. Do they grow fast? Do they yield a lot? Um, but at the end of the day, it really is effect based. So the the better genetics companies breed based on effects, not yield. Interesting. But okay. yield sense. is what makes you sell the seeds more because the the commercial aspect of the industry just wants to make them you know is it fast growing and does it yield a lot that's all they really want does it look nice doesn't matter about effect it's about money bastards i know it's i know and that's the other thing that's cool about growing for yourself is you get to smoke like medicinal plants that might not be on the market because they don't make people enough money you know damn did you get like the uh the thc percentage tested or anything or is that like i haven't that's been probably too complicated yeah there's a lot of that a lot of those companies around and i don't know how much it costs though i would be interested in doing it at some point just to do it but no i haven't mm-hmm. for round two of the documentary <laughs> randy yeah. tests his weed for the first yeah. time yeah. i would love to like sell a weed based show or something you know be like a, a a weed guy who uh you could reference the first time i ever smoked weed and now <laughs> yeah i mean shit, yeah. I, I feel like you'd be a great guest for one of those um like cooking with weed shows like i don't know if you've seen those oh, gosh. Kind of ridiculous two things i like let's uh set it up i would yeah. love it some of those like judges like oh i'm actually vegetarian it's like you didn't tell them beforehand <laughs> like come on yeah 
vegetarian and I only do CBD. I don't smoke. Like, why are you on this show? I have a book to promote. Oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, um, this has been a fun conversation. Do you want to uh, plug anything that you have? Uh, when this will be out. So I don't know if it's good for this weekend. But... Oh, yeah. I'm not worried about it. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Randy Lidkey, R-A-N-D-Y. L-I-E-D-T-K-E. Uh, I did just start a podcast, but um, me and my friend Davey, uh, we've been kind of a bit slow going on it. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's on Spotify. It's <laughs> We need to change the name. It's called Wunderjungs, and it's uh, uh, German for Wonder Boys, but it's spelled W-U-N-D-E-R-J-U-N. J G S J U N G S. Yeah, it's hard to promote. Um, yeah, we just started it. Uh, I'm going to post the second episode soon, and it's just silly, kind of improv based. The whole the whole concept is we can't look anything up while we're talking, so we have to kind of just roll with the information that we think is true about something. Okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's the loose the loose basis of it. Uh, other than that, uh, lima beans. I would like to promote lima beans. They don't get eaten enough. I just cooked some yesterday. Very tasty. What about fava beans? Fava beans are good, too. A lot of work if you get them fresh, though. You have to shuck them and take the things off. I bought dried lima beans and uh, hadn't done it in a long time. I would recommend it. Do you have any insight on to, into uh, how to do dried uh, fava beans correctly? Because I, I want to love them. I've had them and they've been perfect, but I can't ever do it right myself. Dried ones? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I've done it. I feel like I had a, a bit of a hard time with... Uh, I use a pressure cooker for most beans. So I would mm-hmm. suggest pressure cooker. Don't do a soak. You know, do a rinse yeah. to get any type of dirt or seed or rocks out. And then I would do pressure cook for probably 40 minutes, something around there. Depends on how old the beans are. For pinto beans, it's like 40 minutes. But if they're like, I have a big bag, so they're a couple years old now. So up to like 55, 60 minutes. Interesting. Uh, But yeah, pressure cooker, just water, no salt, or use a broth. You know, I did a bone broth and some kombu kelp. Uh, broth and then cook the beans in that and then they absorb all that flavor word yeah i I didn't realize that you were such a a bean connoisseur otherwise oh my my mom is from my mom's from new mexico so i grew up pressure cooker pinto beans my whole life so i have a big old giant bag of nest farms uh from estancia new mexico pinto beans right now (laughs) damn well yeah I shouldn't have been asking about cum jokes. I should have been asking about beans this whole time. So bean jokes, yeah, we should do a bean a bean pod. <laughs> ah, <laughs> <laughs> cool man. Well, um, I I guess um I'll let you go then, uh, Randy. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and um I'll talk to you in the future. Cool, bro. Nice talking to you. Peace. <laughs>